And welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where I am once again joined by the great Adam Julian to recap round three of Super Rugby Aotearoa. Well, kia ora, Adam, and welcome back onto Code with Kingy, where we are recapping round three of Super Rugby Aotearoa, where, funnily enough, we saw two games with the exact same scoreline, 39-17, but as always, we'll start with the first fixture, which was the Crusaders taking down the Chiefs at Orange Terry Stadium. And as always, uh, what were your thoughts on what transpired on Saturday night? It was another irritable refereeing display for a lot of spectators in that game, especially Chiefs supporters. Uh, two tries given that were clearly not tries. Leicester Fayanuku's leap for the corner, as spectacular as it was, wasn't a try. There was sufficient evidence that the ball touched the grass and that meant it should have been overruled, and it wasn't. And then poor Sam Kane, he must have felt like he was playing a game of craps. He literally rolled a seven, and the Chiefs unravelled. Brad Webber, the victim of a very harsh decision, not touching the ball from the pass that went forward. Play carried on, and Lester Fainuku, who really was a powerhouse in that game, burrowed over the line with Webber grasping on gamely from an offside position with no other option but to do that. And not only did he get a penalty try conceded, but he also received a yellow card as well. And really the inherent misfortune and comedy of the whole situation was revealed in the discussion between Kane Webber and the referee when Webber was summoned over and asked by the referee for his captain. And Webber said, well, I am one of the captains of Webber and Kane are in fact the co-captains of the Chiefs. Yeah, that was pretty much the the end of the game for the Chiefs. Like from there, the Crusaders went on to score 28 straight points. And yeah, like I'm a big believer in that you make your own luck. But yeah, you, you have to sort of like feel for the Chiefs at this stage. The fact that, yes, like you mentioned, Whanganuku's try was spectacular but I think there's been a lot of photo evidence um, post game that he was in fact out and then yeah with that run of play and in, in the lead up to the penalty try yeah, yeah you, just, you just have to wonder like how much yeah well I guess it did have an impact on that game and then even looking at sort of towards that first half with the Chiefs there was the the moment where I think if Nanai Satoru had a picked up like a loose ball he looked like he was a way to score a try it's just a little things that are really coming undone for the Chiefs. I mean, the fact that they were able to absorb a lot of that pressure in the first half with the Crusaders, you know, looking to back their scrum inside the 22 and play the line out, and the fact that they held them out for long periods, I was you know, I was quite impressed um, in comparison to what unfolded for the other visitors that had played down in Christchurch over the last couple of matches. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to... Yeah, it's sort of hard to get on the Chiefs after a game like that, considering the contentious calls that went... Um, against them. I mean, you look at the fact that Sam Kane, you know, he slogged away. He had 20 tackles. I mean, Damian McKenzie was his usual self. And I'm not convinced that the Chiefs would have won the game. Despite those decisions, their scrum was more wobbly than jelly. But when you're suffering a lack of confidence and receive such obviously poor decisions, it really does rattle the entire team. And that's precisely what happened. 
The other thing that happened early in the second half of the game, Jordan, was Richie Moanga dummied three times in the same direction and slipped through three times. And so the Chiefs' uh, defence uh, completely unravelled and the Crusaders, if they get a sniff, were typically rampant. Cody Taylor was immense again. Tom Christie is really putting his hand up for potential all-black selection. Mwanga streets ahead of any other first five in the country at the moment. And Will Jordan, well, if, is there a guy with better timing in any sport in New Zealand than Will Jordan? He always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Very Christian Cullen is his ability to pop up around the ball, and especially with those opportunistic times to dot down for a meat pie. But yeah, I, I, I want to, I, well, not necessarily retract, but yeah, I get what you mean in that, you know, the Crusaders are that good a team that even if they had it gone back and it had it been quarter forward pass and they put down a scrum, I think more so what I was trying to get at for the Chiefs was that, the, like you said, because they are in the dumps at the moment, and when you have calls like that, which are seemingly obvious to not only the person, like, you know, not only the fans, you know, watching the game in real time, but, you know, if you, I can only feel for someone like Sam Kane who's looking at the big screen, seeing what everybody else is seeing, and then having to come back and see that the TMOs made the wrong call. It's very easy for us to say, like, you know, like you've got to flush it and get on with the game, but. Like you said, that sort of stuff has just compounded on what was a tumultuous 2020, um, what's been a, a pretty rough as guts start with that uh, that 14-point blown lead when they uh, played the Chiefs, when they played the Highlanders, sorry, uh, last week. And then now they go down to Christchurch. They put in a pretty solid shift for the first 45 minutes of that game. And then, yeah, ultimately that yellow card spelled the end of them um, because if there's any team that's going to punish you for having um, the numerical advantage, it's going to be the Crusaders. So, yeah, again, in regards, it was... In regards to the video referees, Jordan, they have nine cameras, and one wonders, are they seeing the same images in the same quality and resolution that the viewers are at home? In 2018, Sansa had a review into the quality of television match officials, and yet we're still having discussions about poor decisions. And the other thing that happened last year in Super Rugby Aotearoa, and it's continued in 2021, is the fact that referees are now being appointed as television match officials when there's actually a training procedure involved in becoming a television match official. And it appears that some of these referees who are officiating the physical contest on the field perhaps aren't as adept as the specialist television match officials. Remember George Ahu from Australia, he had a huge reputation as a television match official for a long time and then uh, Ben Skeen almost got chastised by the whole of Cardiff after the World Cup but he fashioned a decent record as a specialist television match official. It's very irritating when things go wrong at such important moments of the game when we have such privileged pictures and for the Chiefs they really uh, must be struggling uh, psychologically to pick themselves up from that because they put in a very decent display as you mentioned and once the Crusaders get that roll on though it's impossible to stop and yeah. you start to doubt yourself and unfortunately the Chiefs now have lost 11 games in a row, which is the New Zealand record for Super Rugby losses. And 
the record for losses overall in Super Rugby is 17 by the Lions, so they're honestly close to that figure. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, going into next Saturday, or this coming Saturday where they play the Canes, um, as bad as I felt for them, I'm hoping that they lose another one to get the Canes season back on track. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as much as you want to point to, you know, some of the refereeing decisions, I mean, the fact that the Chiefs gave away 15 penalties, I mean, especially towards the back end of that second half, a lot of their desperation turned into uh, long arm whistles. And yeah, um, that sort of stuff you can sort of count on yourself, maybe outside of that um, that penalty try and the, or the penalty that was given away for that yellow card. But I, I think there is a bit of onus that the Chiefs have to take on maybe cleaning up their act and being a little bit more accurate. But yeah, at the same time, they just aren't getting the rub of the green. So on that point, I mean, you've already gone on to mention the guys that you thought were standouts from that game. Again, Leicester flying Anuku. I mean, it's, for me, like, I know that they're probably not going to see George Bridge till the back end of their season, but it's like, how are they going to retain all of those guys? And are they willing to put their egos to the side and deal with maybe not being in the 23 every week to keep winning championships? I mean, you look at that team. I mean, David Havili's gone into second five. You know, he wouldn't be there. Or would he even be there if Braden Enel was playing? And then, like you said, Will Jordan's come back into play fullback. Got Severus on one wing, got George Bridge still to come back. So, yeah, it's it, it's just frustrating, you know, seeing the Crusaders get these calls or getting the rub of the green, and then, yeah, with talent on top. But, yeah, we'll stop speaking about them, and we'll roll into the second game, which was Sunday afternoon's fixture, which, again, just like I mentioned before, 39-17, this time to the Blues over the Hollanders. And as we predicted, it was really the Ford pack that got the bulk of their work done. Now, I know that the... The likes of Riku Iwani and Autori Black had um, a really important role in scoring those first two tries to them in, in that first half. And they, I mean, the Fords did blow a couple of opportunities to, to bag some meat pies towards the back end of that first 40. But yeah, that Ford pack is something scary. And I'll, and I'll get to my point, but again, I'll throw the mic back to you and uh, let you talk about what you saw. Well, the scary nature of the Blues' uh, Ford pack was best illustrated by the performance of their young hooker, Aturu Tolai. Now, a lot of the viewers might go, who's that? Well, Tolai is a product of St Peter's College. He's 6 foot and 119 kilos, so he's a massive unit. He scored uh, six tries in the NPC last year, and North Harbour, who were demoted from the top division, actually beat the finalists, Auckland and Tasman, and Tolai scored a try in each of those games. In fact, he scored seven in the whole season. He hit his line-out jumpers, and with a gap emerging between Cody Taylor and the rest of the fledgling contenders at hooker, Tolai, with a big display this Sunday, could really come into the conversation in regards to the elite hookers in New Zealand. And the best thing about the Blues' performance, though, was the spectacular display of their back rowers, Dalton Papali'i, Hoskins, Satutu, and Akira Yuani. It was like watching Michael Jones, Zinzan Brook and Mark Carter in the back of good old days at Eden Park. They really tormented their opposition. The Highlanders battled gamely, but really uh, the Blues uh, clinical in their execution and using their uh, size and strength to considerable benefit. I think the most glaring thing for me was probably the territory that the Blues had in the first half. Uh, it, just, it just seemed like the Highlanders had none of the ball, and when they had it, they were clearing their lines from their 22. 
Uh, and to make matters worse, on top of the result that they um, conceded was the fact that John Onareki went down with what looked like a pretty painful leg injury. So I guess we'll have to wait till later in the week to see just how severe that is for them. But rolling on from what you mentioned, yeah, the, the likes of Dalton Papali, even though he only played 45 minutes, was very, very impressive. I mean, he, he had the hand in what should have been a try when he made the turnover and then obviously they go out to Kiriwani out wide and I mean mate you, you could have easily thought that was his brother before he passed it back into his brother um, and but I mean we'll get, we'll get to the TMO again on what was another pretty bad call on their part but yeah that the, I guess the the scary thing for me on top of what you just mentioned with the the likes of their promising hooker coming through was just their ability to just get their hands dirty and roll up their sleeves and, and really just manhandle that that Highlanders forward pack, albeit, you know, we we obviously um, have to admit that they are far, far, far away from what they should be, considering all the injuries that they've had and the likes of Putty Putty Parkinson still having to come back into play. But bridging off what I, what I mentioned before, the scary part is just the X factor that that forward pack has. I mean, you only have to look at someone like Iwani when he made that break down the sideline to see that it's like, wow. You know, a big man moving that quickly on top of doing all of his core roles can still do damage out wide like that. Um, I mean, Hoskins Atutu had a similar break, albeit that it didn't lead to what a try or what, what should have been a try. And yeah, like I mentioned before, Dalton Papali'i was um, just in and around the ball, similar to Patrick Tuipelotu. And then they're bringing on guys like Tom Robinson, who, again, I've mentioned previously, has been an all-black bolter in the past. Uh, they, they started the young lock, Sam um, was it Zadari, the one that they brought up from Canterbury? I mean, he was impressive, albeit against, a, again, a, a struggling forward pack. But, yeah, you throw all that in on top of another composed performance from Ortiz Black. And then, again, as I mentioned, Riku Iwani had his hands in the first two tries, but he blew a couple of opportunities off some nice touches from Ortiz Black as well. So, yeah, this Blues team looks very, very scary, and I'm very excited to see what happens this Sunday when they take on the Crusaders. Height, power, and dynamic athleticism, all the ingredients are there in the Blues forward pack. And if ever there was a chance of toppling the Crusaders, it has to be this weekend. They won't win in Christchurch if they lose this game. It is their biggest opportunity in several seasons to take out the Crusaders. They put in a very honest hour last year in Christchurch, and then the Crusaders pulled away. On the subject of uh, Tolai, he really reminded me of Kevin Mialamu in the way that he played. And the Blues, for a long time, have struggled for that type of uh, hooker. James Parsons was a durable performer, but he hardly produced a lot of pyrotechnics. And that back row for the Blues is so uh, physical. And the trouble for the Highlanders was that they couldn't get out of their own territory. In fact, the first try was scored by poor Joshuani clearance and that tackling of those big runners going forward close to the ruck, it's absolutely exhausting and eventually the pressure told and although the score was 39-17, in all honesty the Blues could have won this game by 60 points. You're not wrong, like I mentioned, those there was the rolling mall try where there was a bit of a bobble and Aaron Smith managed to get his hands on it. Rico Iwani knocked on what should have been the first try of the game when uh, Ortiz Black's kick got deflected. So yeah, I mean, like again, as impressive as the Blues, their forward pack and their backline was at times, they actually didn't put in an 80-minute performance or hit on all cylinders or make the most of their opportunities. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not 
or not whether or not or how they go against the Crusaders this weekend if they don't make the most of opportunities like that because the Crusaders have shown an ability even when they are down to 14, perhaps 13 men that they can defend their line like that. So it's going to be very, very important for the Blues to take their opportunities and even take the points on offer depending on how that game rolls out. But well, I think that pretty much wraps up like both games' coverages. So I'll roll into my run or pass segment. And speaking of the Crusaders, uh, like you mentioned, nobody was perhaps more impressive across the weekend than Richie Moanga, um, who still seems to be strapping that knee rather heavily. But um, I don't know what he's doing in his warm-ups or whether or not he's getting a lot of DP on it. But yeah, he seems to be running pretty freely. So my question for you to start us off is, is Moanga the most valuable player or most important player to his team for any rugby side in the world at the moment? No, I don't think he is. I think there are other players who are of greater value. That terrific halfback for France, he's been labelled by Aaron Smith as the best player in the world. And if you watch the French play, they essentially play off him. Aaron Smith with the better ball, I would argue, is more influential than Moanga. But certainly he would be in the top 10 most important players in the world for his side. Evidently, on the subject of brilliant first fives, there was a great story from the UK overnight on uh, Jimmy Gopith, and he willingly conceded to the referee that the player had scored a try when the referees were going to go upstairs for the television match official. Jimmy Gopith, 38 years old now, and still playing in England. Wonderful player, Jimmy Gopith, and he's left the Hurricanes somewhat as a journeyman and he won the award for the best player in England three years ago so he's another one that is of a real value yeah not a bad little spiel there from you may only ask because like the if you look at the first five stocks that the Crusaders have at the moment I feel like should Mwanga go down that you know in all honesty I think that the Crusaders would probably be half the threat um, that they are with him uh, without him because I mean I mean we saw Fergus Burke come onto the field uh, with about 15 to go and I mean like the game was already won so for me like looking at Super Rugby Aotearoa at the moment and, and given I don't watch a lot of the Six Nations rugby um, you know 80 minutes you know every single week and I don't watch a lot of the Super Rugby Australia what's happening in South Africa and whatever other competitions are running through Europe it's just that yeah it's, it's hard to look at that Crusaders team the same should Moanga not be playing and I mean like yep they've got a Rolls Royce Ford pack but I mean you just have to look at the fact they can bring in someone like a Fetu Douglas when Cullen Grace goes down or they can they have the likes of a Mitchell Dunshay and Luke Romano to come off the bench and I mean their, their front row stocks speak for themselves as well so yeah that's the reason why I raise that point um on to number two the Chiefs luck is worse than their ability to play for 80 minutes <laughs> I'd be careful what I say here. I'm in uh, Hamilton. The uh, Chiefs uh, have had uh, terrible luck in their most uh, recent uh, games. But really, when you lose 11 in a row, you can't go attributing uh, luck for that uh, miserable record. The defence of the Chiefs at times on uh, Saturday was pitiful and they fell for the same dummy and run from Richie Moanga three times. So that in itself is an indictment on their defensive ability. And I think one of the palpable things in the Chiefs is just the complete lack of leadership in the backline defence. 
especially when Anton Leonard Brown's not there. There seem to be far too many holes. A guy like uh, Alex Nankinville, perhaps, uh, bringing a little bit more experience. He's a sturdy footballer, is uh, sorely missed. And also, uh, the discipline you mentioned was not good enough from the Chiefs, and some of their line-out play in uh, recent times has been less than average. So uh, the Chiefs can complain a lot about their losing streak, and they'll certainly cruelly dealt with on uh, Saturday but 11 in a row uh, that is uh, more than luck Yeah, I'm in agreement with you 100% um, but yeah, I'll roll on to my third point the Blues forwards are the real deal after only playing the Hurricanes and the Hollanders That's a good uh, question uh, Jordan, I guess you could look at their displays last year and make a case that they are a side on the rise, they competed very vigorously for an hour against the Crusaders in Christchurch. In fact, uh, Alex Hodgman completely outscrummed his opposite that evening and essentially won himself a, a test berth. I think the Blues very much are a real deal. Uh, Ford Pack uh, Jordan, Akira Iwani was somebody who would have really benefited from more test football at the end of last year. The All Blacks had a spluttering campaign. Much like those Highlanders away jerseys, Jordan, don't they look like painters' aprons? Terrible. And the Blues have uh, Patrick Tui-Pilotu, who's really matured into a, a seasoned leader. Uh, James Lay coming off the bench. He's a guy that's played a lot in England. Ten tests for Samoa. So this uh, Blues team is as good as any that they've had, really, since they won it last in 2003. They're every chance of beating... The Crusaders on Sunday and it'll be interesting to see how that game unfolds. I don't think there'll be a lot of tries in it. I think it'll be more like a test match where two Ford packs are t jostling hard for territory and trying to use their physicality and strength from set piece to achieve a favourable result. Yeah, it certainly shapes to be an interesting game. Uh, point number four on the end, I mean you just waffled on about the the importance of front rowers uh, for the Blues, but for the Highlanders, will they struggle to win another game if their front row woes continue? Yes, you'd have to think they would. And in that game, they also appeared to lose uh, Josh Dixon, who's a very handy player. Jack Regan struggled against young Sam Derry. And even Shannon Frizzell, seeing frazzled at the fact that he was marking... Hoskins Satutu. The Highlanders are a team who have won games in recent times essentially through individual brilliance. Uh, Seve Reese performed like Jada Lomu in uh, Hamilton on that previous uh, Friday night and they lack the consistency although they do have a terrific hooker in Ash Dixon. I didn't understand why he was sitting on the bench. Yeah, me either, and especially like seeing some of Coltman's line-out throwing, I think Tony Brown um, would have probably taken that one back had he had the chance. But we're all on to my last point, mate, and that is that the negatives outweigh the positives for TMO. Well, that's a difficult one to answer because, unfortunately, all the headlines are being written at the moment about the bad television decisions and really it seems inexcusable with all the angles, all the money that's invested in the game, all the time that the referees spend training, that these things are 
getting wrong. So I think the television match officials' performance really needs to be up. To, uh, Paul Williams really should have a spell like they do in the NRL. If you uh, misperform in the television match official or refereeing department, you have the week off, and that might be the only way to improve the performance. Really, no excuses for that uh, call, in particular on Weber, which was just a terrible decision. 100%, mate. Um, that wraps everything up. Uh, and as always, like with any guests I have on, I really appreciate you taking some time out to converse with me uh, with the action that's unfolded. So, yeah, until I get you on next, stay safe, and hopefully we see some improvement with the TMOs this coming weekend and even after that. I did want to say one more thing before I go. Jordan, and perhaps I should exhibit more mercy towards the television match officials because the gentleman that I'm about to tell you about has showcased the most extraordinary mercy possible. Yefeta Matalasi is a figure that may be known to listeners of your programme. He's a rugby coach in Wellington, formerly associated with Ori's, now aligned with Old Boys University. And in 2013, his son was tragically and senselessly murdered by the mongrel mob in Lower Hutt. And there was a highly charged court case where two men were convicted of the killing. And Matalasi, in his final witness statement to the court, stood up and asked for clemency for the victims. He wanted the murderers to go. And the courts did not allow that to happen. And thankfully, because these were very violent offenders who had to serve justice, but Matalasi decided that he wanted to seek closure or some sense of uh, respect from this uh, situation by meeting the uh, one of the men who murdered his son. And uh, last night on the Sunday program, there was an extraordinary documentary about Matalasi's uh, meeting with this uh, murderer and it's really a triumph of uh, compassion and humanity and forgiveness. Afeta Matalasi, one of the real champions of Wellington rugby. Check out the Sunday programme, TVNZ On Demand. Definitely do that, mate. Appreciate your time. Take care.